Amen. Hey, that's right, Bobby. We are once again in World Roots. I didn't even have to say it. That's right. Thank you for saving me the time and the breath. And we're on, of course, the number nine topic in our study, and that rhymes with Jehovah's Witnesses. That's right. If you guys want to turn into your exciting workbooks there, you're more than welcome. You could glance at that first page, but believe it or not, that's right, Pastor Tom. Thank you for praying for us. Give him a golf clap tonight. Thank you. Thank you. We're on page two. That's right. And we might even get to the bottom of page two. For those of you who have faith. But uh, as a way of recap, as you turn to that second page, we've already seen basically they're a cult by definition because they veer off on who God is, who Jesus is, who man is, what salvation is. They choke on the Trinity, all that stuff. And, of course, they have a false gospel, a works-based gospel. Then we took a look at their history, certainly with Charles Taze Russell. He was influenced by Seventh-day Adventists, which we'll get into, Lord willing, the next topic. Uh, then also he uh, passed to, he passed away, picked up by the Judge Rutherford, who was not a judge. That was the first of many lies. And then, of course, the leadership transferred to called the Watchtower Society. Uh, and so we dealt with that in great detail. Now we've been looking on the second page, their beliefs, okay? And their beliefs are hmm, kind of messed up, just to put it mildly, okay? And we saw before they, they get it wrong, of course, on God, that they say that God is a single, uh, uh, not a trinity, uh, number one, that God does not know all things and he's not everywhere. Well, he's not God then, their version, excuse me. Uh, then they also messed it up with Jesus, we saw, but they want to say that he's the archangel Michael, excuse me, an angel is a created being, okay, a special created being, and then Jesus is the son of God. They're not night and day, but that's what they also teach, another false study. We took a look at the Watchtower Society. Then we started to take, and we're going to deal with this all pretty much tonight. We began to take a look at some of their, what I would call, unique cult behavior. And these are things that my theory is that the cults typically will have something that they are different than everybody else. Look at us because we don't do this or we do that. Nobody else does. And we've got a secret truth and not just a secret truth, but look at our secret behavior. We're the only ones who have. And that's what we saw before last time with their version of the cross. Of course, they say that the cross of Jesus Christ is not a cross. They say it's a pole or a stake. And we, boy, did we deal with that one uh, big time. And that's not true. Uh, biblically or historically, uh, even linguistics, okay? But then we began to look at their leaders, and then we got down into the big issue, of course, was the 144,000. And who in the world are those folks? And uh, as we saw before, believe it or not, they don't even know, okay? And it's all subjective, and uh, you hope you get it right, and they're getting into another problem because there's so many people, because they record them, right? And their once-a-year communion service, and only the 144,000 can partake of that. They're getting over that 144,000, so guess what they're probably going to do, what they've done with all their other teachings? You make it up as you go. They get new light, okay, and that's the same thing. Contrast to what you and I believe. Yep, this changes every year, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Who said that? I'll lay hands on you. But <laughs> No, it stays the same. Hello, God's the same yesterday, the same forever. His word, this is it, this is the rock. Don't budge from it, and you'll never be lied to. You'll never be steered wrong. Unfortunately, that's not their source of truth. Now, let's get down to that bottom part there. It says this, when you study the Jehovah's Witnesses, you agree to attend five meetings a week, right? A week. And where you are taught from the Watchtower literature. Notice it's not even their perverted version. We haven't even got into that. The New World Translation. We'll probably have a whole study just on that. Uh, they're not even that, but what is the primary thing they're getting? Spoon-fed. Straight from the Watchtower, okay? Not even... Again, certainly the Bible, not even their perverted version of the Bible. And you cannot be baptized until you have studied their material for at least six months and have answered numerous questions before a panel of elders, right? Then it goes on. Men are not, here comes some of their legalism. Men are not supposed to have long hair or wear beards, okay? And women are to dress in modest apparel. They also refuse to vote, salute the flag, sing the star-spangled banner, uh, celebrate, here we go, birthdays, Christmas, they won't take blood transfusions, and they say you cannot join the armed 
forces. So let's take a look at that. We're going to deal with birthdays, Christmas, blood transfusions, and armed forces. Is that something we should refrain from? Well, let's take a look at that evidence. And again, I, in my theory is these are just those things that they draw a distinction. Look at us. <laughs> We're different. We're more spiritual than the rest of you because we not only have a messed up version of the cross, unfortunately, but that's right. We don't celebrate what? Birthdays. So we've got to be true. No, don't think so. Let's take a look at that. Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to celebrate birthdays. And obviously, guess who suffers in that? Kids, right? And, and, and listen to what they rationalize this with. They, they actually say that celebrating bir- birthdays is sinful. Can you believe that? Sinful, right? Now, here's the four things that they try to justify this. They say, well, people died at the two birthdays mentioned in the Bible. Then they actually listen to this, right? They say the day of your death is better than your birth. Last time I checked, that's... Well, I'll take a birthday. <laughs> I like the one guy, he said, you know, hey, listen, everybody's going to die. Me personally, I'm going to try to make the last thing I do. Let's move on. The day of death is better than birth, right? And they say when you celebrate, therefore, your birthday, you're giving undue honor to that person. That's the rationale. They say it's not celebrated by the Jews or early Christians, and they say it's pagan. They're going to see this with a lot of cults. It's pagan. It's pagan roots, and so therefore, you've got to stay away from it. Well, we'll examine that in a second. But let's deal with this first one. We can't celebrate birthdays, right? Now, here's what they say. You you say to Jehovah's Witnesses, here's their comeback on the birthday issue. They say only two birthday parties are mentioned in the Bible. And in both examples, someone died. The Bible must have included these as examples to warn us to avoid birthday parties. That's the rationale. That's the number one big rationale. Well, look at the Bible. The Bible records all kinds of stuff for us and all kinds of ways that people died. So does that mean you got to avoid all that? What? So let's just begin to peel it apart. All right, let's take a look at those two mentions of birthdays in the scripture. And does this fly? First of all, both people mentioned that were, quote, celebrating birthdays in the Bible weren't even people of God, number one, right? So are you going to use a non-Christian, a a, a non-elect person's behavior to determine yours? I don't think that's the standard. Hello, number one. Number two, the two people were Pharaoh of Egypt. If you recall that, that was when he um, uh, uh, took care of it. He hung uh, the baker who had been in prison with Joseph, right? So that was one occurrence. The second one was Herod Antipas, and uh, the daughter Herodias asked for, guess whose head? John the Baptist, okay? So those are two mentioned in the Bible, and there were two people that, that died. But again, neither one of them were worshipers of God. Right? And we don't draw our standard from non-Christians, non-believers, uh, what have you. Okay? Now, second, believe it or not, did you know that uh, that was the behavior of those non-secular people? And by the way, murder, murder has never been a common accomplice of the traditional birthday party anywhere. Have you noticed that? How many guys are glad that murder is not something you do on your birthday? Which means you. Which means you won't be having birthdays again, will you? You guys are deep in thought tonight. This is amazing. Let's just close in prayer. Right? <laughs> Hello, it's not, that's not common. It's, not, it's just you're taking stuff, wrenching it completely out of context. And that's your whole justification. But that's, that's what they do. Okay? But again, can you consider these extreme examples Okay, that it's going to be now the plumb line that, oh, no, so therefore you can't have anything. Well, let's apply that logic to other things that the Bible talks about, and I'll just show you how uh, crazy, with all due respect, this is, okay? If we are to assume that the inclusion of something bad in the Bible, a bad behavior, and then we can't say nothing to the contrary, that that automatically means stay away from it, then number one, 
Dogs are mentioned in the Bible 40 times, right? And dogs are mentioned uh, despairingly, right? Yet the watchtower doesn't say that you can't have a dog. If you're being consistent with your train of logic here, then you've got to do away with that. Number two, the wearing of eye paint, right? Uh, is mentioned twice and once in reference to the wicked uh, Queen Jezebel and secondly to apostate Israel. But the Watchtower doesn't forbid eye makeup. So you're being inconsistent. It's illogical, it's unbiblical anyway. Okay, but you're being inconsistent. You're going to apply that standard to birthdays, then you should have no dogs and no eye. And then again, you open up Pandora's box. Take anything out of context of the scripture, anything bad, and they say, well, automatically that means you can't have a part of it. No, it's out of context, number one. Number two, let's explode this thing. Let's say the day of your death is better than your birthday. What? They rip it out of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. He wrote Ecclesiastes and, uh, 7.1. And here's the one verse. They go, wrench it completely out of context. And it says this, a name is better than good oil and the day of death than the day of one's being born. So they say, therefore, that uh, you can't uh, celebrate a birthday because you're given undue honor. Because if you want to celebrate something, celebrate the day you die. Well, first of all, that's not even what he's talking about. You completely took it out of content. Solomon continues by saying, that's not his intent anyway. What he's talking about in the context is the recognition that at death, a person leaves their legacy and the legacy of whether or not they were righteous. That's the whole context of the passage. It's not dealing anything at all with a birthday. And saying that you shouldn't celebrate that. Okay, that's the context. Now, also, let's apply it to the rest of what's going on in that verse and see if their logic applies. Solomon continues by saying, vexation is better than laughter. Keep reading because you can't just rip out one, uh, one verse. Right? He says, a funeral is better than a banquet. And mourning is better than rejoicing. Okay? Solomon does not forbid being happy or attending a banquet, nor does he forbid celebrating one's birth any more than he forbids accumulating good oil. The intention of these passages is not an opinion about birthday celebration. It's about the importance of working on and gaining a character of wisdom. What did your life amount to at the end? Nothing about birthdays. They completely ripped the whole thing uh, out of context. Okay? And again, they say that if you celebrate your birthday, you're given the word they use is undue honor. You cannot do that. That's not. Well, really? Well, let's examine some of the things you do. And if that's really what you're saying we shouldn't do, I think you're breaking your own rule. Right? There's nothing wrong with giving somebody individual special attention. Right? Okay? Right? Uh, if this truly is a reason to avoid a birthday party celebrations, then listen, logically, should that not also apply to graduation parties? Right? Why is it just a birthday? Graduation parties. How about retirement parties? How about wedding anniversaries? How about celebrating a good uh, school report? Oh, and by the way, a wedding reception, such as the one attended by Jesus, so if it was wrong, then why was he doing that? Right? It elevated a newly married couple with as much as important of a time of celebration and honor as a birthday party, certainly, right? But Jesus attended it, so what's the big deal? Right? You're going to say he sinned? A baby shower, which is a what? Birthday celebration, right? Puts a mother and child in the spotlight. And listen, in the kingdom hall, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they make announcement about individuals who are pioneering Okay, and they give them importance and, uh, and acknowledgement before they even achieve their goal. But it, shouldn't that be considered wrong? You're giving them undue honor in your own camp, right? And, and it's also common for witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, to receive, guess what? Gifts after their baptism. Ooh, that's interesting. And they even provide a celebratory meal for that person. 
Well, how's that any different than a birthday party or giving honor to somebody in one of these other uh, uh, examples? Oh, and by the way, uh, they also say that uh, guess who we find doing this in secret anyway? Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. They still celebrate birthdays, a lot of them. Okay, but if you get caught, well, you're in big trouble. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second. Okay, yeah, seriously, okay. But then they say, oh, no, no, no. The early church and the Jewish people, they didn't celebrate birthdays, uh, so we shouldn't either. Okay, so this is the third uh, supposed line of reasoning. Okay, well, first of all, it's inconclusive that the early Christians avoided birthdays as a universal stance. Okay, and, uh, uh, but we also uh, do not need the Bible to sanction birthdays for them to be acceptable any more than a range of matters not covered in the Bible. Listen, the Bible does not state that wedding anniversaries are acceptable. Does it say that anywhere? Does it make it wrong? No, not at all. Okay, It does not state that you, can build, uh, that you shouldn't build uh, a church facility like what we have. In fact, if you want to get really technical about it, the early church, you want to pull out that race card? Well, the early church did this, the early church did that. Really? The early church met in homes. So what are we doing in a building? Oh, wait a second. They meet in buildings too called kingdom halls, don't they? So if you're going to pull out the early church race card, what are you doing? Building those buildings, right? The whole thing is uh, uh, um, uh, inconsistent, even with their own behavior. Now, the other big one that they throw out, and this is, this is other than, than saying that it's, you know, people died at a birthday party, Okay, uh, is the pagan card. It's pagan. Birthdays are pagans, and we can't have anything to do with those people. All right, well, let's take a look at that. So basically, you're saying, in premise, that we should avoid anything that has to do uh, with anything that's pagan. Well, if you look at just about anything we do in society, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, we are not the first ones to pop on the planet. How many guys can verify that tonight without any help? Okay, so that means we have a whole history of what? Christians, non-Christians, we have a whole history. It had to come from somewhere. Right? And there's certain things that they do, we still do. Does that mean we shouldn't do them just because it came from a, a non-Christian? That's not reality. Let me give you some examples. Almost everything's pagan. Pagans have done virtually everything we do, including most of what Jehovah's Witnesses do to this day. But you're going to isolate this one thing with a birthday party? Say, no, you're not being consistent. Let me give you an example. Uh, this extends beyond necessary daily activities. Did you know that pagans bathed? Well, see, you're laughing, but you guys, you're in trouble. Because you guys took a shower this week. Pagans take showers. Praise God for showers. I don't know about you guys, but I'm telling you. <laughs> no, but think about it, right? Uh, uh, pagans, did you know that pagans eat and drink? They absorb food into their bodies. Never shall we partake. We, yeah, you'll last a week. <laughs> But think about it. Pagans bathe, they eat, they drink. Uh, did you know pagans went to work and earned a living? Can you believe that? Oh. Now that's the ultimate excuse. I'm sorry. I've been unemployed for 900 years now because pagans worked. And I'm being spiritual. No, you're not. You're being lazy, right? The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat, get to work, right? So anyway, uh, let's continue on. But that's the rationale. Now, the life of a witness is filled with also other pagan practices. Now, let me get any more experiences. Did you know that they wear neckties? Guess who came up with neckties? Not Christians. Neckties are pagan. Okay, they weren't. Perfume. Have you ever heard the story about where perfume came from? Yeah, man, because people stank. <laughs> stank bad. <laughs> so they came up with, they throw this on you. Ooh. That's where it came from. Right? Pagans. Did it. Oh. Neckties, perfumes, a celebration with pinatas, flying of kites, even the use of the calendar, which is named after Roman gods. Oh. 
There's, you can't escape from this. And you're going to take this one isolated thing and say, oh, no, we can't. But you do with all other things. You're being inconsistent. And that's not how truth works. Truth is absolute. If it's true here, it's going to be true. That's what makes it true. That's what makes God's word true. It doesn't matter what generation you're in. If he says no, it's no for all time. But you guys aren't even being consistent. You're cherry-picking the scripture. You're twisting it. You're not even uh, following your own logic, okay? Uh, weddings are laden in paganism, including the ceremony, the cake, the dress, the burning of candles, and even the wedding ring, okay? Yet, for some reason, a Jehovah's Witness is allowed to participate in most wedding practices, and, but for some reason, they're forbidden to throw confetti. Well, if you can't throw confetti, then you, and under the, it's, it's pagan, then all that, then, yeah, you better at least wear a dress because that probably wouldn't be good either. But anyways, you know, you're just all, it's, it's completely inconsistent when you take a look at it. The giving of wedding presents. Did you know, if you're going to follow that logic, the giving of wedding presents is accompanied by a murder in the Bible. David was required, and I'll quote it to you, David was required to supply the foreskins of 200 slain Philistines as a dowry to King Saul. Pharaoh killed the inhabitants of uh, Gezer and gave the cities a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So therefore, then that means you shouldn't have any wedding presents. Because in the Bible, there's an account of some weddings where people gave bad, sinful gifts. So we should... It's illogical. But this is what cults do. They cherry pick. They pull something completely out of context. Look at us. ha, ha, ha. And that's what they do uh, with birthdays. But let's take a look at the Bible, because that's the most important thing. What does the Bible have to say? The Bible presents, first of all, life is a gift. And kids are a gift, and you should be excited when you have news of a baby. What's the Bible say, right? Kids are a gift from God. Kids are a blessing from God. Blessed is the man whose quivers fold in babies, right? Because back in the day, man, you needed some help on the farm, and you also need help for protection, right? You hopefully had a bunch of sons that knew how to do stuff, right? And protections, right? Now, of course, uh, praise God, most of the time we don't have to do that. But my dad's theory was, man, praise God, yard work helped, right? <laughs> Construction labor. Yoo-hoo, I got two sons, bust their back, you know? <laughs> but anyway, the biblical times, kids are a good thing. Kids are a blessing, right? Now, also, but talk about celebration, birthdays. Guess what? The angels celebrated the birth of guess who in Luke chapter 2. So what's wrong with that, right? Uh, later, the Magi presented gifts to Jesus from his birth. Oh, so they celebrated, yay! And then they gave him gifts. What's going on here? Job, an upright and blameless man, celebrated with his children in what possibly was their birthday celebration, Job chapter 1. God does not object to commemoration uh, because, hello, he's got a number of yearly festivals, memorials, and celebrations even in the Jewish calendar. So he's not even against that. And then Paul lays in a line. He says, listen, he does not criticize, Paul does not criticize Christians that celebrate a particular day as special. But listen, he does condemn those who look down upon them judgmental, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Now, let me quote that text for you. That's Romans 14, 5, 6, and 10. Paul says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special, he does it to the Lord. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you also look down on your brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of God. Right? So, you, first of all, knock that off. Oh, and by the way, speaking of hypocrisy, guess who originally had no problem celebrating birthdays? Rhymes with Jehovah's Witnesses. You guys are so brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah, again, shocker. How many times have we gone through this? They say it now. You can't do it today, but you guys did it back here for decades. Same thing with birthdays. Now, I'm going to quote with you. Uh, this is from the Watchtower. 
they celebrated birthdays up until the 1950s. But remember, we're the only sole source of truth, only from us. If the, remember they said Noah and Moses and we're Jehovah's Witnesses and the, the, even David, but the chain of command got lost until the 1800s when Charles Taze Russell came on. Okay, so you're the soul's channel of truth, and we're talking the first two founders here, right? You guys are still doing birthdays. And then later, but remember, these are your head honcho guys. These are the guys who had the only way they can interpret the Bible. So why'd they allow it? And then now you can't. And then if you're going to say, well, what are you going to say? You're going to say they got it wrong? Right? Either way, if you're going to shy away from it, then why shouldn't we shy away from the other things they taught? Which is start to undermine everything you do. It's inconsistent. Right? But let me listen. This was actually printed in a Watchtower magazine, 1940, January 1st edition, page 16. Quote, pardon me for intruding on your precious time. But I just can't help letting you know how much I appreciate the phonograph which came uh, to me on the morning after the 8th, which was my 80th birthday. It was indeed a birthday gift from Jehovah to be used in proclaiming his name. May grace and strength be given to me uh, to do with uh, my might what my hands find to do. So they printed that guy being glad about his birthday and receiving from them what he considered a birthday present in the Watchtower magazine. Conclusion. If God wanted us to abstain from birthdays, you would think that he would have specified. In fact, specifically with over 600 intricately detailed rules in the Mosaic law, and and birthdays were practiced during the nations at that time, you think they'd been in there. right? But no, that's not what you have. Also, again, your version of forbidding things taken out of context, okay, again, you open up Pandora's box, you can make just about anything bad and we need to stay away from. For instance, let's follow their logic. Cats, did you know that cats were worshipped as gods in Egypt? And that's true. So therefore, we should never have cats. And all the dog lovers tonight said, preach it, preacher. And the cat lovers, close the prayer, Pastor Bill, you're not funny. Right? <laughs> right? It's the same logic. And again, guess who celebrates birthdays in secret? Yeah, it's called a hypocrite in the South, hypocrisy. All right. Now, not only does this doctrine cause undue anxiety to young witness followers, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, it also alerts one to the power the watchtower leaders have over people, being able to convince their followers in mass to believe whatever it writes, regardless of how biblical or logical support there is. That's called brainwashing. That's what cults do. So that's the issue of the birthday party. But the other big thing that they have is, no, not just birthdays, but boy, I tell you what, don't you dare. Don't you dare, people, celebrate Christmas. Dun, dun, dun. And you guys hear my spiel every single year. I've done this every place I've ever pastored. It's the same thing. Christian, let's not also be a hypocrite. Now, if all to you it is about this guy with the big old red suit, and you're lying to your teeth to your kids about these flying reindeer and stuff, don't call it Christmas, call it Santa Mass. Number two, you won't do that route. You're not lying to your kids about this uh, mythical figure called Santa, okay? But all it really is, is just a massive time to not only get other people's presents, but lots for you too. <laughs> then don't call it Christmas, call it Consumer Mass. If you're going to do Christmas, you hear this from me every year, what? You put Christ back into Christmas, because Christmas really, in theory, at least what we say it is, but it really is in principle, should be about the what? The birth of Jesus. So we just saw the whole logic. It's okay to celebrate birthdays. So then why would it be wrong to celebrate the birthday of Jesus? But see, that's the acid test. Are we really celebrating that? Right? Now, if you are, more power to you. 
right? And that's what we're going to uh, take a look. Should we do that? Now, let me give you some reasons why they say, again, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, right? And period, right? And the first one they pull out there is say, well, it's got pagan roots. That's right, pagan roots. Again, they pull out that same card, pagan roots, and so we should stay away from it. Now, now I, and I've done the research on this. The, the bells, Christmas bells, candles, holly, the yuletide decorations, okay? Mentioning hi, uh, history was a part of pagan uh, worship, okay? But guess what? Doesn't mean that's what I'm doing, right? Again, when I take a bath, I am assimilating myself with the worship of being cleansed as a pagan. I'm going through a pagan ritual, then as I apply that bar of soap, that is also a... I'm just taking a shower. But pagans took a shower. So? And, and maybe they did rituals with that. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm just taking a shower. Right? Leave me alone. <laughs> and, so, and so that's what they do. It's pagan. It's pagan. Well, we saw everything's pagan. And you can't do nothing. I'm going to work because that's what pagans do. And I'm identifying with that pagan. No, I'm just going to work. I gotta go to work. Last time I checked, feeding your family is a good thing to do. Right? It makes you popular as a dad. At least on payday. <laughs> and it's the same thing. Yes, there's all kinds of pagan things you want to study. Yeah, there's pagans who did this, right? And they do with the bells and the candles and the yule log. That's not what I'm doing. Right? And again, that's, I mean, I'm still in the context. Okay, it really is, though, Christian about the birth of Christ, right? Okay, but that's what it is. Now, I'm celebrating me personally about the birth of the Savior, the birthday of Jesus, okay? Bells are played to ring about joyous news. Last time I checked, Jesus come to save us from hell. That's good news. I'm going to celebrate that. Woohoo! You give me an opportunity to celebrate it, I'm going to do it, right? Bells were doing that. Candles are lit to remind us that Christ is the light of the world. Stars placed on top of a Christmas tree to remember that the star of Bethlehem. Gifts are exchanged to remind us of the gift of the Magi, right? That Jesus is the greatest gift of mankind and he came to give us the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life. But again, if all it is about just giving gifts because i got to have a gift, it's my chance to get... Remember the stat I shared what, last year? Because I know you got all the sermons memorized, especially the ones about Christmas and the rebuke every year. <laughs> It was like 80% of people, a Christian, they buy gifts just for themselves. It's supposed to be about whatever. So, okay. so, and that's what makes it so hard to deal with this topic because I think sometimes we have abused it. On the one hand, you say, oh, no, Jehovah's Witnesses, you're wrong. You can't so. What are we doing? What are we doing? Right? And so it's, it's in moderation there. Now, uh, speaking of the tree, that's a big one. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 10. This comes out every year. I get emails and phone calls on it. Jeremiah 10. Because what they're doing is they're, they're cutting down a Christmas tree. And that's pagan. You can't do that. Well, let's take a look at what's really going on in that misquoted passage there. Jeremiah chapter 10. And let's take a look at the first couple of verses there. What is going on with that? Is this really talking about a Christmas tree and we shouldn't be a part of this? Well, let's take a look there. And it's talking about God and idols is the passage context. Let's take a look, right? Hear what the Lord uh, says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by the signs in the sky. Boy, that's a passage for right now. But I don't have time to mess with that. Uh, <laughs> Though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are what? Worthless. And look what they do. They cut a tree out of the forest. And a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. 
They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails. Listen, so that it will not totter. It's just like a Christmas tree. You put it on a stand. You put stuff on it and tinsels and gold balls, and it's an idol. No, it's not. First of all, the context of what he's talking about there, he's cutting a tree out of the forest. That's what we do. And that's why, if you guys know us around Vegas, hey, I'm not the only one. I've been here six years now. I'm not the only one who knows this. Did you guys know? You look, do a 360 here in Vegas. There is no trees on those hills. It's because every year, people are acting like pagans. There used to be trees up there before I got here, right? But they've cut them down every year. They violated this passage. No, there were never trees anyway, at least after the flood. <laughs> anyway, so, no, that's not what's going on, right? You go into a forest, and then what's the context here? These people went in there. That was their wood supply. They went and got some wood. And the context is these guys fashioned it. They were craftsmen. They were idol makers, they carved it into the shape of an idol, and the gold and silver they're talking about is they overlaid it with gold, and they put it on a base because they're going to put it in their pagan temple or pagan home, and they're going to bow down, and they're going to worship it. That's the context. And I'll give you this, although I don't think this is what people are doing. If you bring in a Christmas tree to your house, and if you bow down for that thing, and you pray to it for supplication, yes, you're in violation. But I don't think that's what's going on. Again, you rip it out of context, something that's going on there, okay? And uh, then they say, well, that's, that means you can't do it uh, as well. All right, now, then they also point to this fact. Well, it's not just the Christmas tree. It's supposed to be some giant idol, which is not going on there, okay? And once again, it's pagan, okay? But then they say, well, that's not even the right date. You've heard that one, right? It's not December 25th. The Catholic Church did that. They took this festival. And they could, have, could have very well have done that. But you're missing the point. You know how, people, how many people actually know the actual exact birthday of Jesus? Rhymes with nothing. That's right, Bobby, nothing. You win the prize tonight. Nobody knows. And I'll give it to you. That's probably not when the shepherds were in the fields. I, I don't discount that. And, and there's probably all kinds of the dates with the Roman census taking. Probably not around that time. I, I get that. Right? May have been closer more towards springtime. Why did I get that? But nobody knows. And so me, it, it, the point is, it's an opportunity for me annually, just like you celebrate an annual birthday of your wife or your children, okay? Guess what? I got an annual opportunity, and you ain't going to change it. You're not going to start some supplication. We are now going to reverse all of society's trend to, to, to have Christmas on the... It ain't going to happen. You're wasting your time. But that's the other thing they say. Well, see, the world, the world celebrates Christmas. And that's just as bad as that pagan thing. Well, really, did you know the world takes a shower too? Did you know the world goes to work? So we shouldn't, it's, again, your logic, it makes no sense. Plus, guess what? Guess what I get to do every single year because I have non-Christians come to my house for Christmas. I get to give the gospel. And boy, do we give the gospel. Because guess what? We celebrate about the birth of Jesus. And guess what we do? Before we do anything, in the morning, we get up, we go through the gospel of Luke, man, and ain't nobody opened up nothing. Right? And Christian, I don't care, Christian, non-Christian, you're in my house, guess what? I make the rules. <laughs> and you're going to sit here, and you're going to listen to the gospel of Luke, and then me and the kids are going to go through the symbolism with the tree, which is a fantastic way to share the gospel. Right? You got the root of the one with Jesse, 
there at the tree, the tree at the root. And it's not just any tree, it's evergreen tree, which symbolizes everlasting life. And then, of course, the star on top, right? And then Jesus died on the tree for us. And then with all the beauty, the different ornaments that God, he's willing to save anyone and everyone, no matter what you look, what color you are, whatever, all this stuff. And the gifts represent the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life. Me and the kids go through that with the gospel of Luke chapter 2 every year. And guess what? The family gets the gospel every year. Every year I look forward to it. Not only for us to celebrate, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, having the news, and isn't that what the angel said at the birth of Jesus? I bring you what? Bad news? And don't do this because it's a pagan thing? No, I bring you good news for what? All people. Hey, world, guess what? The Messiah's here, the one who's come. You were all doomed straight to hell. There's no way you could reverse it. He's here now. Woohoo! There's hope. You can go to heaven. All your sins are forgiven. Last time I checked, I'm going to celebrate that. But see, that's the issue, Christian. We're going to go on this one extreme and celebrate or cop on the Jehovah's Witness, right? But what are we doing? Is it really about Christmas, okay? Or have we gone to the extreme as well? Uh, one guy says this. He says, listen, there is no biblical mandate to celebrate Christmas uh, nor reason not to celebrate Christmas. Whatever Christians decide to do regarding Christians, their views should not be used as a club which to beat down or denigrate those opposing views, nor neither should be used as a badge of honor inducing pride over celebrating or not celebrating. You're missing the point. If you do it, do it the right way. But it doesn't mean you can't do it. Okay, and that's why uh, we celebrate uh, Christmas. Oh, and by the way, you see some uh, people singing and getting excited over the birth of Jesus. Uh, Christmas is what it's supposed to be about. You see the examples of Mary and Zacharias and Simeon and again the angels. What are they doing when Jesus was born? They're hooting and hollering, singing poetry, Mary's magnificent, right? The song of Mary, they're singing, they're celebrating, right? So again, we see even in the scripture that this is good news for all joy. It's something, hello, worthy of celebration. Last time I checked, okay? One guy says, when God looked down at our sinful planet, he saw the whole world of people in mortal danger. We celebrate Christmas uh, because it was during this time that the rescuer of all mankind came to save us from a hopeless situation we were in. God did not stay in heaven and stare at us. He came down to meet us where we were at. That's worthy of celebration. Okay, so that's the Christmas issue. Now let's go to, that's right, blood transfusion. That's another one. You guys heard that one? Don't you dare. You're going to be in big trouble if you accept a blood transfusion. Now here's what they do. Once again, shocker, you're starting to see a pattern. They wrench it out of context. And here's what they do. It's Acts 15, 20, where it says, instead, you should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Therefore, you should never have a blood transfusion. But that's their big justification. Right? They also use another one. They want to say that uh, in Genesis chapter 9, right? I think, yeah, Genesis 9 and Leviticus 17, and then Acts 15. So those three combined together say, oh, see, it says you shouldn't eat blood. Therefore, you shouldn't have a transfusion. Well, that's not what's going on here. The context, okay, we're against eating and drinking blood. Last time I checked, that's not what happens when you get a blood transfusion. It, you don't go like, <laughs> and thankfully so, because that would be creepy. Okay, but that, that's, not, that's not what's going on, right? So it's completely, and by the way, blood transfusions were not even possible in biblical times, so how in the world could this scripture be talking about that? They weren't even on the scene yet, okay? There were, though, many pagan religious practices that involved eating and drinking blood or strangling an animal to keep more of its blood uh, in the meat. And that's what the Bible's talking about, not blood transfusion. Now, I kid you not, they scare you into it, too. Not only are you going to get disfellowshipped, we might get to that, okay? But uh, 
if you take that blood transfusion, then the sins that that person who that blood came from is going to get in your veins. And then you're going to start doing it too. So you see that, you think I'm kidding, I'm not. And I quote, Watchtower, September 15, 1961, page 563, 565. The poisons that produce the impulse to commit suicide, murder, or steal are in the blood. <laughs> That's the ultimate excuse. I'm sorry, officer. I, I, I had to steal that blank. I got a blood transfusion the other day. I was just forced to do it. It wasn't me. It was the guy who had the blood. I, 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 I've been great my whole life, but I got a blood transfusion and it made me do it. Isn't that the ultimate? That's really, are you kidding me? And so not, that's not a step different than what society has now done. The Bible says that homosexuality is wrong. But what is our world trying to say? Just like this, it's a biological thing. I can't help it. I just, the way I am. It's just, a, it's a biological thing. No, it's not. It's a choice, right? And choosing to commit suicide and murder, which suicide, self-murder, and stealing, that's a choice too. It's not because you got a blood transfusion. Okay, but they scare you into that, okay? Uh, but then it gets even worse. So let's take a look at it. They say, well, transfusions... That's still eating blood. No, it's not. And let's take a look at it from a medical perspective and hopefully settle the issue. Uh, this is not the case at all. If you eat blood, okay, if you were to do that, okay, as crazy as that is, which I don't recommend, but if you were to do that, then guess what? You break it down into nutrients, which your body then uses. What makes it into your own bloodstream, at that point, it isn't even blood at all because it ceases to become blood because your body tears it all apart inside your gastric juices so so it's broken down just like any other food so even if you were to even do that it's not even that uh in the first place right and jesus himself speaks of eating mark 7 he says specifically what goes into the stomach and is eliminated literally passes on into the latrine a transfusion is not that a transfusion is not eating it's blood and the blood stays blood listen it doesn't nourish you like you're mm -hmm, eating a cheeseburger that's not the point of getting a transfusion. Listen medically. It doesn't nourish you. It does what blood does. It carries oxygen that your body receives from your lungs and nutrients that your body receives from the food and takes them through your body. It's like a transport system, right? That's all it is, okay? It doesn't provide you anything from itself, okay? And that's why it is not the same thing as eating blood, okay, period. Now, I like what one guy said this. He said, it's a noble thing, all right, to be willing to die than do evil, right? That's noble. But it's a tragic thing when a false teaching and misrepresentation of Scripture causes lives to needlessly be lost. And that's what's going on because these people refuse to do it because they're scared to death because they've been fed a false lie. Okay, pun intended, by the way, fed. And um, uh, guess what? They die because of that. That's what's tragic about this. Now, the other one is this one. Is you saw that they uh, won't salute the flag, they won't sing the Star Spangled Banner. Military, if you join the military, you're doomed. Well, let's read what the Bible has to say about that. The Bible's got all kinds of information, hello, about the military. In fact, that's usually what's your a saving point. Remember all those goals we have at the beginning of the year? I'm going to read the Bible this year if it's the last thing I do. I'm going to do it, right? And you make it through Genesis. There's all kinds of cool things going on, which, by the way, there's wars going on there. I'll get to that in a second. And then you make it to what? Genesis Exodus, right? And, hey, still got some good action going on. There's wars and pharaohs after the people and all this stuff. And then you get to Leviticus, Numbers. And then Deuteronomy, it's like I've heard this before. Yes, yeah, because Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. That's what it means, right? And then what's your saving grace, so to speak? I mean, to Joshua, Whew, action. 
There's action going on, man. They're fighting this. There goes wars here. And then judges, whoo, man, they're going at it, all this stuff. Whoo, I almost didn't make it. But here's my point. Even at the very beginning, the first five books of the Bible, right? You're dealing with what? Wars, military campaigns. All, are you kidding me? Right, but let's take a look at that, right? The Bible's got all kinds of references, even analogies that the Bible uses about military, being soldiers, the armor of God, right? And if it was so horrible, then why is God using those analogies in a positive light, right? The first example of military service is found in the Old Testament, Genesis 14. Abraham's nephew, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot was kidnapped, remember that? All right, so what did Abraham do? Well, I guess he's done. No, what did he do, right? Abraham rallied to Lot's aid, gathered 318 trained men, trained in what? Raking leaves. Man, these guys could rake like nobody's been. No, and fighting. <laughs> right? And defeated the Elamites, right? And here we see armed forces, listen, engaged in a noble task of what? Rescuing and protecting the innocent. And that's the ultimate issue. And it's what's called the theological term is a just war. Is it a just war, right? Because there could be wars, and it has nothing about being just and you're rescuing the innocent. It's about land expansion. I'm not saying being part of that, right? But is it a just war? Is it about rescuing and protecting the innocent? Later in history, of course, Israel. You want some action? First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Man, what are they talking about? War, 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 war. It's just over and over again, right? Uh, uh, the, uh, and, and on and on it goes. You see Saul, David, uh, uh, Solomon, uh, what Saul began, military, in fact, Saul was the first one to form a permanent military. He, uh, David continued, he increased the army. He even brought in hired troops from other regions that were loyal to him. He then turned over uh, that to a commander-in-chief, a guy named Joab. Then he established a system of rotating the troops, 12 groups of 24,000 men serving one month uh, of a year. And then Solomon's reign, it was a peaceful reign, so he got rid of the military. No, he built on it even more. So it doesn't mean it's just there. It's also a good deterrent. But no need for it today because we all know we're experiencing paradise on earth right now. Nations are getting along with nations. People are hugging. Even our own country. We are at such great peace. Why am I even discussing this? Yeah! <laughs> the world's messed up and it's getting worse. Right? And as men, we are called to defend the innocent the women, and the children. Whether it's on a nationwide scale, military, you're going to come and mess with us, our family? Uh-uh. Men, we need to rise up like with Abraham, and we're going to get our family. You ain't messing with our family. That's a just cause. That's a just war, right? To protect the innocent. Same thing in the microcosm in your own home, right? Does that mean that somehow that some guy is going to come into my house and then he starts shooting my family? And I go, well... Be wrong for me to intervene. No. You need to protect your home as a man, right? And do what it takes uh, to do that, all right? Now let's go on. Jesus, even in the New Testament, listen, he marveled when a Roman centurion, what's a Roman centurion? A guy who's a commander in charge of 100 soldiers, right? That's a centurion, 100, right? Okay. And, and the centurion's response to Jesus indicated his clear understanding of authority as well as his faith in Jesus. Listen, and Jesus said, that's it, get out of the military. Now that you're saved, he didn't say that. Jesus did not denounce his military career. In fact, many centurions are mentioned in the New Testament and praised as Christians, God-fears, and men of good 
character. The places and titles may have changed, but our armed forces should be valued just as the centurions in the Bible are valued. The position of soldier was highly respected. Again, Paul even said, and he describes Epaphroditus, a fellow Christian, as a fellow soldier. Right? And the Bible uses military terms, again, by being strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God, including the soldier's what? Weaponry, the helmet, the shield, and the sword. Okay? The Bible uh, does address serving uh, the military. Those who honorably serve in the military deserve our respect and gratitude. But then you have people that say this. Well, wait a second. Jesus taught that you should turn the other cheek. And so that means we shouldn't have military. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Okay, what's the context? They take it out of context. To turn the other cheek does not imply pacifism and that there is no need ever for military action, especially when you're protecting the innocent, etc. Nor does it mean we place ourselves in mortal danger. Like the principle of the eye for an eye and the tooth for tooth, turning the other cheek refers to personal retaliation. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey man, you stink. Oh yeah? Well, you... Turn the other cheek. And it's precisely that behavior that can be a distinction because that's what they expect from the world. They expect the world eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. When somebody says something bad at you and threatens you, what do you, oh, oh, they expect you to do bad. But when you say, no, dude, it's personal retaliation, right? But again, if you come into my house or you try to invade my country, which is a threat to my house, then what are we called to do? That you see all through the scripture. You defend the innocent. The women and the children, okay? And Jesus, of course, uh, gives us that example. Now, let's continue on there at the bottom. A schedule of door-to-door canvassing is required, right? And uh, where you distribute the Watchtower literature, you acquire donations, and you forward all monies to guess who? That's right, headquarters back in Brooklyn. And remember we saw, they're not millionaires, they're billionaires. Raking in major mega dough. And here it is, as we're going to close, if you ever leave, the Jehovah's Witness organization. You are considered what? An apostate and you are to be shunned. So let's close by looking at that. If you dare disagree, if you do something that's on their list of bad behavior, including birthday parties, what will happen to you? This is so unbiblical, it's not even funny. Members who engage in conduct that is considered inappropriate, first of all, may be counseled privately. If the initial counsel is not accepted, listen, the elders may present a talk to the congregation about that behavior, alerting other members who are already aware of that individual, okay, the purpose is to shame them. So they literally go and shame them in front of the whole congregation. Yeah, that's what we do. No, because that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says what? Matthew 18. Well, you got something going on with your brother or sister, and Lord, what do you do? You go to them personally, privately. Oh, well, they didn't listen to the council. So what do you do? Go tell it to the church. No, it never once says that. Right? Read it. It says, then you go take somebody else with you as an arbitrator, and privately you go deal with it. Then you take it to the... T- no, you don't. You, it says there, then you tell it to the leadership, to the church there, and you still deal with it privately. You don't sit there and that. And this is something that I was trained in, in uh, uh, ministry. And uh, I've actually... Won't name the internships that I was a part of, that I sat under. I didn't do it. But sometimes uh, I was told, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't wimp out as a pastor. The Bible says you confront in love and you confront privately. You don't sit there because somebody's dealing with the issue during the week and then all of a sudden, Sunday, guess what happens from the pulpit? You preach a message on it. And everybody knows who you're talking about. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. You don't do that as a Christian. 
Now, I, I will say this, and this has happened many times, but I've gone to sleep at night in peace because I didn't plan it. There's been many times I've already had my sermon ready to go. Now, later in the week, guess what happens? Somebody's guilty of what I'm getting ready to preach on. Now, you know what the enemy wants you to do? You better not preach on it. They're going to think you did that on purpose. I didn't do it on purpose. So guess what? You're still going to hear it. <laughs> so I've encountered that too, right? But that will be the case. If it happens to hit you home, guess what? I didn't plan on it. And I don't have a webcam in your house, right? But God does. And that's probably why he's having me preach on it, right? But anyway, but they're also what's called marked. You can also be marked, right? Now, the actions of what happens when you become marked, okay, may include the following. Being lazy, a critical, improper entertainment. And, uh, and again, this is where they want to shame you uh, in front of the whole uh, course. In fact, let me give you, and this is a list from their own organization, the things you could do that you are going to get uh, marked, you're going to be shamed, and then you're going to be kicked out, etc., blah, blah, blah. And wait to hear what they do when they kick you out. Now, here's what's going to happen. If you, I'm not joking. You are going to be disciplined. You are going to be the threat of being disfellowship cut off, and I mean even from your own family if they're involved in it too. If you, quote, encourage the celebration of birthdays, let alone celebrate it. Boxing. Uh, loose conduct, including associating with disfellowship people. Then you could, uh, criticizing a disfellowshipping decision. Celebrating religious or national holidays. Joining the military. Physical uncleanness. Better take that shower. Oh, wait a second, I thought the pagans took a shower. I can take it. Anyway, uh, physical uncleanness. Political activities. The use of tobacco. Voting in political elections will cause you to be disciplined. Can you believe that? Right? And again, listen, you may be disfellowship, not even if you even engaged in any of those things, and there's a whole bunch more, but even if you promoted it, you didn't do it, but you promoted it. Yeah, get out there and vote. You're disfellowship. How do you do it? But you promoted it, right? And if you teach anything contrary to what they teach, you are considered an apostate, and you will be uh, by and large, you are going to be disfellowshipped. Now, when you're disfellowshipped at that point, the announcement is made at the midweek meeting that the named individual, they'll call them out by name, right, and that they are no longer Jehovah's Witnesses. And the rest of the congregation is immediately told you have to shun right now. And shunning means you cut off all communication, even if it's your own child. I'll get to that in a second. And failure to adhere to the directions of shunning is itself a cons uh, an offense, which you might be getting disfellowshipped if you don't do what they say too. Okay? Now, as one guy said, he says, listen, and many think that this is why the Jehovah's Witnesses even maintain what people are involved. Because once you get in and you get locked into the system, it's the fear factor. They're scared to death. There's claiming that uh, the fear of family breakup or loss causes people who might otherwise freely leave the group to stay. Because if I go, it's like the Mormons. If I go, I'm going to lose my family. My whole family will cut me off. I will never, not just see, I will never speak to my wife again. My kids will never, for the rest of my existence, if they stay with Jehovah's Witnesses, I will never be able to have communication with them again. And folks, this is what's happening. And so people say, well, listen, I'm not. I, I'm not and so they get stuck into this because they're afraid of losing uh, everything. Uh, in fact, it gets even worse. Uh, and on top of that, so it's not just, oh, by the way, these people are disfellowship. It could be your own child. But then they throw in this further fear factor. They say that these disfellowship people are, listen, this is what they tell to the 
rest of the congregation, they are condemned to everlasting destruction. So now you feel horrible. You think your kid or your parent or whoever got disfellowshipped is going to hell, right? And, and that, again, you are unable to associate in any manner for the rest of their lives. Right? Now, if you don't think that that's really what they're doing, let me give you a couple quotes here. I've got to skip over for the sake of time. But let me give you one where they literally encourage hate. Hate. And they use this word over and over again. First of all, let me give you an example. And this is from a Watchtower in 2011. Okay? And this is, they give a scenario of a family. And it's a husband and wife. Suppose, for example, that the only son, the only son of an exemplary couple leaves the truth. Our hearts go out to those parents. After all, their son had a choice, and he chose to pursue, uh, pursue an unchristian lifestyle rather than enjoy close association with his parents and other Jehovah's Witnesses. Right? But what will those dear parents do? Will they obey Jehovah's clear direction, or will they rationalize that they can have regular association with a disfellowship son and call it necessary family business? In, in making their decision, they must not fail to recognize and consider how Jehovah feels about what they're doing. Listen to what they say to the mom and dad. Don't even think about it. Listen, today, Jehovah does not, listen, Jehovah does not immediately execute those who violate his laws. What are they insinuating? Oh, it may not happen now if you try to fellowship with your only son. This is their example, not mine. But you better watch out. Because their version of Jehovah God, he might kill you. That's sick. How else do you put this? No wonder people are afraid to leave, right? How would Jehovah feel, though, if the parents of an unrepentant wrongdoer kept having association with their disfellowship son or daughter? Oh! First of all, it's pharisaic because the word disfellowship, by the way, does not appear in the Bible. Shocker. So you know how they try to justify it in their so-called Bible? They focus on the word expelled. Now, expelled does occur, but you know who says it and who does it? The two occurrences, I believe, that it occurs in the scripture is from Pharisees. Pharisees expelling people from the synagogues. And last time I checked, you don't want to model the Pharisees. <laughs> so it's crazy, number one. Okay, but the Bible doesn't say we should hate our enemies. It's words to what? Love. Now, let me quote again, Watchtower. It says this, haters of his people, supposedly Jehovah, are to be hated. This is from the Watchtower. We must hate in the truest sense, which is to regard with extreme and active aversion, to consider as loathsome, this could be your own family, Loathsome, odious, filthy, and detestable. Surely any haters of God are not to fit to live on this beautiful earth. Well, what's the Bible say? What did Jesus say? You love your enemies. What did Paul say? You love your enemies. You pray for those that persecute you, right? Right? On, on and on it goes. In fact, they say that you shouldn't even take care of them. You shouldn't have that. But what does the scripture say? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8, they, listen to this. The former Jehovah's Witnesses, and we're going to close on a video. A former Jehovah's Witnesses recalled, I was told that I could not speak with my own daughter due to sins for which she had been disfellowshipped. Quote, I was supposed to treat her. This is the mom. I was supposed to treat her as if she was dead. But she wasn't dead. That's the mom being told to treat her daughter like that. And yet what's the Bible say? 1 Timothy 5a. Certainly if anyone does not provide for those of his own household, especially for those of his own household... He has disowned the faith and worse than a person without the faith. The Bible says, no, you take care of your own household. 
right? They might blow up, but you work with them. You love them. You pray with them. You reach out to them. You don't consider them as dead and cut all ties. The Bible says you do that, you're worse than a non-Christian. But that's what these people are conditioned. Oh, and by the way, disfellowship people are tracked, quote, tracked until they die. And the records are kept in the branch office of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it still, to this day, is going on. Destroys people, destroys families. And we'll give you some proof. Let's take a look here. One man's difficult decision almost cost him his life. You know, I had I tried to kill myself. You know, I, I had tried to kill myself. What did you do? I, I actually, I, I took a lot of pills. I probably took about like 70 pills. 70 pills? Yeah. He's too afraid to tell his family and friends. But tonight, he shares his story and struggle with us and explains he's not the only one. Religion is almost always a controversial topic. Oh, yes, it is. And for this local man, it's so controversial, he's afraid it could cost him everything. Our Everard Casimir spoke with him and explains why. This story isn't as much about what Jehovah's Witnesses believe as it is about what some experience when they leave the religious organization. Bouts of depression, losing communication with loved ones, and even thoughts of suicide. It's just what some have experienced. I'm scared of doing this interview too because if you know if it's, if somebody recognizes me, uh, then you know I, I could be disfellowship. Casey was raised a Jehovah's Witness. He asked us to hide his identity because he's scared to leave and lose his family and Jehovah's Witness friends. How do you know that your own parents would not talk to you anymore? Well, because I, I have uh, other family that are disfellowshipped and they don't talk to them. We contacted the Jehovah's Witness headquarters by phone and email to confirm Casey's fears. We received a written statement that said, we respectfully decline participation. However, you're welcome to visit our official website for information on Jehovah's Witnesses. It was hard in the beginning, losing all my friends and losing my family. Terrell Anglin left this Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall a year and a half ago. He claims that leaving the organization and being shunned took a toll on his mental health. I was all alone because as Jehovah's Witnesses, they tell you not to hang with people that's not part of the organization. So I had no friends here, and then I lost all my Jehovah's Witness friends, so now I'm in the world all by myself. Terrell's marriage even suffered, ending in divorce just weeks ago. With his wife still following the Jehovah's Witness faith, he claims they're not even allowed to be in contact. If I see you out at a grocery market, a restaurant, wherever the case may be, if we've been knowing each other, you're not allowed to say anything to me. For Terrell, losing all the relationships he had ever known led to bouts of depression, similar to Casey's situation. Instead of attempting suicide, though, he turned to the internet in search of therapy. It was just what he needed. It made me feel relieved. You know, there was people out there that went through the same things I went through. Casey is in a much better place now and is planning to leave the organization in the next six months. Uh, any message that you would have for your wife? Um, I always had love for you. Uh, I think you're a great woman, you're smart. I'm sorry. Sorry's right. So goes on today. Multiply that. Out of every, the stats are, out of every one 
hundred Jehovah's Witnesses, one is disfellowshipped and treated like that and loses everything, even their own family. And you know what's also sorry? Not only how it destroys people like that, it's all false. But you know what? The secular news media picks up on that, rightly so, exposes how horrible that is. But you know what they don't differentiate between? They think Jehovah's Witnesses are Christians. And so guess who gets lumped into that? Oh, notice it was religion. And that's what's bad. It puts a bad light on us. Lord willing, next time we are going to, again, get on to page three. We're cooking now. You might smell the flames coming out. There's friction going. These pages are whipping, right? And uh, anyway, so page three, we're going to take a look at the chronology. And then we're going to get into the source of authority, which will mean... We're going to get into their translation of the Bible, the New World Order translation. New World Order might as well be New World Translation and uh, how perverted it is, okay, as well as the nature of God. Why are they so hung up on Jehovah? And we'll answer that in great detail, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you, one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? 
The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually 
this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.